I've discovered a pattern or a spiritual principle in the spiritual life. And the pattern is this. Experience precedes understanding. Experience precedes understanding. Let me give you some crude analogies for what I'm talking about. I tried steak for the first time. I mean real steak when I was 24 years old. I was invited to a restaurant, a a nice restaurant, which was also a bit of a new experience for me at the age of 24. And and the person who had invited me was was going to pay for my meal. It was a steakhouse. I was excited, uh, looked at the menu, and when when someone else has offered to pay, there's always that awkward moment. Okay, do I what do I order? I, I guess I can't order the most expensive thing, that's for sure, but you know, you don't want to order the least expensive thing. And then it, so I just I went with what I knew, top sirloin. I ordered a top, that, that was the highest cut of meat that I had had up to that point in my life. So I'm like, I, but it was one of the cheaper steaks on the menu. So I ordered a top sirloin, well done. That's, that's how I eat steak. That's the only way I knew to eat steak. I was raised in an environment where we, we cooked meat until it couldn't be cooked anymore. <laughs> In fact, you, you, you cooked it until the point it was just before beef jerky, and that's when you knew it was done. That's, that's steak. So I, I ordered top sirloin, well done, and my host said, no, 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 no. Uh, first of all, you're going to order the strip loin, New York strip loin. That was like $10 more, and I'm like, okay. And, and, and you're going to have it rare. Now I, so I just, I, I politely protested and said, you know what, the strip loin's fine. You know what, I'll go with the strip loin. But I think, I think I'm going to have mine well done today. And I threw that today in there like I was, you know, some days I get it rare, but you know, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of in a well done mood today. So, uh, yeah, exactly. My host would have none of it. He said, uh, trust me, you've, you've never tasted steak until you've had it rare. You don't understand. It was quite condescending to me. You you know me now. You can imagine how arrogant and proud I was when I was 24 years old. Quite condescending. You don't understand steak, Troy. That's, That's the message I received. Then they said, just trust me. Just, we'll order it rare. How about we'll go medium rare for you, Troy, and then try one bite. If you really don't like it, we can always send it back to the kitchen, and then they will overcook it and make it well done. <laughs> what could I do? What could I do? So I said, okay, they've given me an out. They've allowed me to maintain my dignity to some degree. Okay, I went along with the plan. But in my head, I'm, you know, here's what I'm thinking. You don't think I understand what rare steak is? I understand what rare steak is. It's, it's meat that's not cooked properly. Right? It's meat that's not fully cooked. It's disgusting. It's, it's red inside. I understand. How dare you say I don't understand? This is what I'm thinking. I don't say this. Although maybe my facial expression is. I don't know. Anyways, the meal comes. I agree. I'll, t- I'll try one bite. Cut it. Sure enough. You know, you know what a rare steak is. I mean, I'm like, this is going to be disgusting. I'm actually nervous now that I'm going to gag. You know, have you ever, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm going to be sick. But I'm like, okay, you know what, just do it, just do it, put it in my mouth. Flavor explodes in my mouth, so tender, so juicy, so delicious. 
Now, I apologize to the vegetarians and vegans in the room. <laughs> I was actually praying seriously about whether I should use this analogy or not, but I'm, I'm like, you know what? I am who I am, and I'm, I'm going to be who I am, and I empower you to be who you are, okay? But in this moment, my life was changed. My culinary existence was transformed. And I'll tell you why. Because in that moment, my only response is, I can't go back. I can't go back. I can't go back, Jerry. I won't. I can't go back to eating steak the way I used to eat steak. I'll give you another example. 10, 12 years ago, I forget how long ago it was, but my wife and I were, were out uh, for a meal. This was before kids. Today, we'd probably call it date night. You know, back then, we called it Tuesday night. But um, <laughs> we went out for a meal, and Tammy ordered the spicy pierogi pizza. And she said, <laughs> testify, sister. And, and she said, would you like to split it? And I said, you order what you want. Don't include me. Pierogi on a pizza. It's making a mockery of the great pizza tradition that has been passed down from generation to generation. I will have no part of this. She began to explain to me, no, you don't understand. Again, that understanding. It's not like there's actual pierogies on top of the pizza, Troy. It, it's, it's, and she started reading the menu to me. I could see for myself. She started describing. It, see, what it says is they cut thin slices of potato and they marinate it in a spicy sauce and there's cheese and there's bacon. I'm like, I can read them. I understand conceptually what a spicy pierogi pizza is, Tammy. This is not why I'm protesting. I'm rejecting it because, as I mentioned, it's an abomination. I ordered my meal, she got her meal, and she was going on and on about how delicious it was. But I started to think, I I don't think she's putting it on. I think she's like getting some serious delight and joy out of this pizza. And she was convinced that, Troy, you just, man, you don't know what you're missing. I think you'd really love this. Finally, I was curious enough. I said, all right, I'll take a bite. Again, I take a bite. My culinary existence is transformed. I couldn't believe how good it was. Spicy pierogi pizza became not one of my favorite pizzas. My favorite pizza. It catapulted all the way up to number one. And it still is to this day, although I don't eat pizza. But anyway, if I were to eat a pizza, it would be spicy (laughs) pierogi pizza. In that moment, I realized I can't go back. I can't go back to an existence where I don't know that you can put spicy pierogies on pizza. I can't live in that world anymore. And why am I talking about steak and pizza? pizza? Well, because I'm hungry for one. (laughs) Two. These are crude analogies for Easter. You see, most, I bet you 99%, at least 99% of the people in here understand the technical details of the Easter story. Yes, there was a man named Jesus, and he did a lot of amazing things, and then he was arrested, and he was crucified, and then three days later, he came back to life. He rose from the dead. That's the Easter story. And what I'm proposing is you don't understand until you've experienced. 
I didn't understand rare steak. I didn't understand spicy pierogi pizza until I tasted and experienced it for myself. You don't understand the Easter reality until you've actually experienced it. Now, what do I mean by that? In a nutshell, you don't understand, you don't get what Easter is about until you have experienced the presence of the Spirit of Christ. Now, I'm I'm not here to brag, but I'm, I'm going to witness. I'm going to testify that I have experienced the presence of the risen Christ. Amen. I have. Sometimes I have experienced the divine presence so intensely that it, the, the, I feel the presence tangibly, physically. There have been occasions where divine presence, I can only describe it as just The atmosphere is heavy and thick with divine spirit. Some people call it the weight of God's glory. Some of you might even know what I'm talking about. It's amazing. On occasion, it's been terrifying. That's another story. Now, about a month ago, I was with two of my brothers, and we were praying in this room. And I experienced this. I experienced divine presence in, in a very heavy, and I, I don't mean heavy in a negative way. I mean thick as in substantial, profound, powerful. And I started to become curious. And so finally I kind of, there was a lull in the prayer. Um, and I just, I asked the other two men I was with, are you feeling what I'm feeling? I was just curious, am I? A... And they both looked at me and said, oh Yes. And we agreed that there's something very special, very powerful about experiencing the presence of God with others, you know, where two or three are gathered. There's something amazing that can happen there. But in that that moment, I began to wonder, and I asked them, do you think that everyone can experience what we're experiencing? Do you think everyone can actually experience this tangible presence of God that we're experiencing? The other two gentlemen were convinced, yes. I'm still, I'm still not sure. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't. I mean, a part of me wonders, are, are, are some of us just naturally, spiritually wired with, with this, I guess, spiritually genetic disposition or sensitivity to the, the, the Spirit of God? I don't know. And are some people just, just don't have the capacity to experience the presence of God? I don't know. What I do know is that in that moment, this divine seed was planted in my soul, in my heart. In the, deeper than my heart, deeper than my soul, in the very depths of my being. And the seed was a desire, a divine desire. And it was this. It's a consuming desire that everyone experiences what I've experienced. That everyone experiences the tangible presence of God at least once. My desire is that everyone in this room experiences the tangible presence of the Spirit of Christ at least once. And then it started growing. Everyone in Stratford experiences the tangible presence of the Spirit of Christ at least once. Just once, God. Just once. And I'm committing myself to praying every day every day that this desire will be fulfilled. Because it's not my desire. 
It's a borrowed desire. It's a planted desire from God. Because I know that once you taste and see that God's presence is is good, so good, it's life-transforming. And in that moment, you realize, I can't go back. I can't go back to life before knowing that I can experience the very presence of the creator of the universe. The first... The first passage in the lectionary reading for today is Acts chapter 10. Now, this is a while after the account that we read in John chapter 20. Some things have happened. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter, who is the one who Greg told us barged into the empty tomb, and Peter and John, they experienced the empty tomb, they saw it for themselves. And it says they had faith, but they did not yet understand. Now in Acts chapter 10, we see that Peter has gained some understanding. Experience precedes understanding. In Acts chapter 10, verse 39, Peter spoke and said, We are witnesses of all Jesus did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. Now this word witnesses is key in the book of Acts. Uh, the Greek word is, is martis, and it, it simply means to witness or to attest to the truth of something that you have seen or experienced for yourself. You can't witness, you can't attest to the truth of something in the spiritual world that you have not experienced for yourself, that you have just read about. So that's the first principle in the, the kingdom of God when it comes to being a witness. The second principle is this. When you experience something in the kingdom of God... You become a witness to that. That experience comes with a calling. Peter spoke and said, We are witnesses of all Jesus did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. And then he starts testifying to what he has experienced himself. He says, They put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree. And then God raised Jesus on the third day and granted that Christ be visible not to all people but to us. That's interesting. So God reveals the presence of the risen Christ, not to all people, but to some people. I'm just going to ask, how many of you have experienced the presence of the Spirit of Christ? I'm just going to ask. Testify. Witness. You can raise your hand. You can say amen. You're witnesses. A couple weeks ago, we heard a sermon. We can at least start practicing with one another. We're even shy to witness to one another. You've experienced the reality of the presence of God. You are witnesses to that. You are witnesses to that. God hasn't revealed the Spirit of Christ to everyone. Do you realize the gift that God has given you? Many people have never experienced the tangible presence of God. And God gives you this amazing gift. May it humble you, but may you also become aware that those experiences come with a calling. You are to share. You are to share what you have experienced. You can only witness what you have experienced, and what you have experienced you must witness to. And what this passage unpacks is that our witness 
of experiencing the living presence of the Spirit of Christ is rooted in the supreme authority of Christ. Now here, Peter puts, uses the phrase, over the living and the dead. But it's, it, there's many different ways that the supreme authority of Christ is articulated in the New Testament. Jesus himself says, uh, the Father has given all authority in heaven and in earth, in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. I've been given authority over all flesh. There's just so many occasions where Jesus pronounces this himself. And Paul talks about it all the time. Paul says, Christ has authority and power over every dominion, every, every energy, every spirit, every system, everything that exists. So this... This call to be a witness has to be rooted in the supreme authority of Christ. And then, Peter says, when we yield to the authority of Christ, we receive what? Power. Receive power. But in this passage, what? I guess I didn't read it to you, so why would you know? How many have this passage memorized? When you yield to the authority of Christ, you receive forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Now, This is another pattern that I see in the scripture and that I've seen in the world around me. Is often when people encounter the reality of the risen Christ, when they encounter the presence of God, they experience forgiveness of sins. That's usually what they first experience. If you've experienced this, give witness to it. How many people have felt the forgiveness of their sins? Raise your hand or say something. Now, it's, I should clarify. Again, you can understand the technical details of what forgiveness of your sins is. And most of you probably understand that, okay, Jesus died for my sins and all my sins are forgiven. Like I understood what a rare stake was. But it's a completely different thing to actually experience the forgiveness of your sins. Are you with me? To existentially feel... Your guilt and your shame and your regret and your remorse for all of the the hurtful, selfish, unkind things you've ever done. Some of those haunt us, right? They can haunt us. And in that moment where you encounter divine presence and you actually, you don't just know intellectually, conceptually that I've been forgiven. You actually feel that shame and that guilt removed from your being. Have you felt it? It's amazing. If you haven't, inquire. It's amazing. It's an amazing experience. You're set free. You are set free. We need to bear witness to that if you've experienced that. You can only bear witness to what you've experienced, and what you experience, you must bear witness to. Here's the thing most Christians stop with the forgiveness of sins you got to keep reading, man. <laughs> this is where Paul starts to unpack things. I mean, when, when Jesus says this about himself, and Peter says it, and Paul says it, that, that he is the authority, supreme authority and power in the universe over all powers. I mean, on Easter, we celebrate the fact that, that Christ is in authority over the power of sin, the powers of evil, the power of death. 
Right? We, we sing these songs. Death, where is thy victory? In Christ, death has no power over us. I mean, that's liberty. That is, that is being set free. There, there's, again, there's about 17 sermons here. There's more than that. There's a thousand sermons in unpacking how profound this power that Walter talked about. When this, when this power flows into our lives, the, the supreme authority of Christ that, that, is, that renders everything else powerless, including the power of sin. I mean, it's one thing to experience forgiveness for our past sins. But we can experience the reality of Easter. Sin no longer has power over us. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait, we don't talk about sin, and what do you mean sin has power? All of us have at least one sin that has power over us. I mean, how many men, the the power of lust controls your thoughts, your imaginations, like 20%, 50%, 60% of the time? We We all have envy. How many of us struggle with this? Envy has power that can control my mood. Control my thoughts, my feelings. It can control my bodily sensations. I mean, sometimes anger. Whoo, I'm actually contemplating not watching hockey anymore. It's out of control. Wait till the playoffs. Wait till the playoffs, he says. Sin has power. Tremendous power. All of us. All of us are influenced. And some of us imprisoned by the power of sin. In Christ, in Christ, we can have complete and total freedom. Amen. Complete and total freedom. It, we're just scratching the surface if we think... Now, those of you who have experienced that amazing feeling of being forgiven of things that you've done in the past, was that real? It was real. It was real. It's just as real when Paul talks about the fact that sin has no power over you when you are in Christ. Now, the key is to be in Christ. I don't have time to get into what that means. I just want to tantalize you with the fact that there is so much more. There's so much more to the Easter story. We're just scratching the surface of this this new reality that we can live in. All of us, myself included. I've become absolutely convinced this week that there are an infinite amount of of life-changing moments ahead of me if I continue to walk in the Spirit. Completely life-transforming. The two things that I want to leave with you. For those of you here who have never experienced the tangible presence of God, I want you to know that, that I'm praying and I'm committed to praying for you every day that you will experience this if you're open to it. And I also want you to know that others here today are going to commit to praying for you every day. Every day that you will experience the tangible presence of God. And it will be such an amazing moment. And you will have that moment. I can't go back. I can't go back to life before I knew that God is real. God is real, real. For those of you who have experienced what I'm talking about, I'm inviting you 
to join God's desire that everyone will experience the reality of the presence of the Spirit of Christ. That you will join us in praying for everyone who is a part of the Avon community, for everyone who is in Stratford and beyond, that they will experience the tangible presence of God once in their lifetime. Is that too much to pray for? Who's with me? Yes. Come on, Christ. We're with you.